by the time we get to the end of the Biden administration term, I feel it would be time for me to step down from this position. Those are the words, as reported by Politico, of the most powerful politician in America these last two years, one of the most dishonest power mad wackos to ever hold office in our country, the one and only Dr. Fauci. I'm not taking credit for this wonderful turn of events. It is true that Dr. Fauci abruptly stopped his years-long ubiquitous TV appearances almost immediately after scores of political candidates and members of Congress signed on to my public health protection pledge to investigate and defund the fetid bureaucrat. That's true. It is true that Fauci remained in relative hiding as my documentary series, Fauci Unmasked, came out and chronicled his well-known, uh, his well-hidden, rather, career of failure, incompetence, and deceit. But it is also true that many other people deserve credit as well for helping to chase this tyrannical goblin out of power. I'm thinking of Rand Paul in particular, others as well. But the people who deserve the most credit for finally, possibly, ridding our nation of the political pox named Anthony Fauci are the voters, because that's the real reason Fauci might step down. Yes, he's old. Yes, he's failed. Yes, he's been exposed. But none of those reasons are why he's stepping down. Fauci has admitted as much himself. The reason that Fauci is stepping down is political. He is going to step down when the Democrats are out of power. In his own words, they're going to try and come after me, probably less so if I'm not in the job. They refers to us, of course. Fauci's timetable for retirement is not based on any milestone on COVID or any other virus. It isn't based on any particular age he will reach. It is based on whenever Biden leaves office. That's the best part of it all. Even more exciting than Fauci finally going away. One hopes very far away, maybe to to a far-off island like St. Helena. What is even more exciting than that is his reasoning. Fauci is bad in a lot of ways, but no one can deny Fauci is a brilliant politician, and Fauci can feel the way the wind is blowing, and he knows that the wind is in our sails, and if he isn't careful, that wind is going to knock him over and sweep him away. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday is from Great Impression of a Hot Dog. What a name. Comment is, I feel like Michael's comment section today is filled with people like me, women who knew that things were not quite right with their cycle and body chemistry after getting the vaccine, relieved to now have a place to air it out. Me, had a baby 14 months ago and haven't had a period yet. I love my husband so much and I want to have another baby with him, but I'm starting to fear that we can't. Well, on that second point, that's not unusual for a woman's cycle not, not to return for a year or more after having a baby. Breastfeeding, I think, plays into that a little bit. So that part's not necessarily unusual. But to your broader point, that you knew something was wrong when you took the Fauci-ouchie, and you knew something was changing with your menstrual cycle, but you were being told by all the establishment types that you, it was impossible, ignore it, don't pay attention to your lying eyes, and now you find out, oh, wait a second, it's true, they're admitting it, it affects 42% of women, and you're saying you're really glad that you can air that out in the comment section. Do you know the real place 
where you're allowed to air out all of your legitimate fears about the stuff that they're calling you a conspiracy theory theorist for right now? Nine months in the future. That's the place. Right now, the stuff that they are calling a wild, kooky, crazy conspiracy theory that's threatening the public health and it's killing people, in nine months, that will be the mainstream. So just I, patience is a virtue. I know it's very frustrating, but that's the way that our system works right now. We need better people in the system. When you want to hire better people, you got to check out ZipRecruiter. Right now, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Knowles. Summer is upon us. People are traveling. I've been traveling. Have you ever thought that all the people that make a great trip so great? I'm thinking of the hotel concierge. I'm thinking of the tour guide. If you're going to some wild destination. I'm thinking of the chef at the cool restaurant, the bartender you strike up a conversation with. You know outstanding talent is crucial for a successful business. If you are hiring, you can find talent for roles such as these and more at ZipRecruiter. When you try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Knowles, ZipRecruiter uses powerful matching technology to find and match the right candidates up with your job. You easily review these recommended candidates. You invite your top choices to apply. ZipRecruiter's got a complete suite of tools that makes it easy to filter, review, and rate your candidates. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. That's why ZipRecruiter is the number one rated hiring site based on G2 satisfaction ratings as of January 1st of this year. Travel to this easy-to-remember web destination right now, ZipRecruiter.com slash Knowles. That is where you can try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash K-N-W-L-E-S. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Fauci knows which way the wind is blowing. And this is actually why he disappeared pretty much immediately when the public health protection pledge was making the rounds, when the documentary came out, when Rand Paul was really hammering him at the Senate. He disappeared because he knew, oops, I'm not as popular as I once was. Oops, I think the jig is up. Oops, okay. And then he went into witness protection and stopped appearing on TV. Well, now I think he knows that that decline in popularity is terminal because Fauci's power is tied to the Democrats and the Democrats are going down. Joe Biden's economic approval rating right now is not just lower than Donald Trump's worst economic approval rating. Biden's economic approval rating is double digits worse than Donald Trump's worst ever economic approval rating. This is according to CNBC. CNBC, not exactly a right-leaning outlet. The All-America Economy Survey recorded Biden's economic approval rating at dropping five points since April. The last time they took this survey was in April. He's now down five points since then. 30% of Americans approve of Joe Biden's economic performance. Trump's lowest number was 41%. That's an 11 percentage point delta. And that's important because who's the leading Republican candidate right now to go up against Biden or whoever the nominee is in 2024? It's Trump. You might prefer DeSantis. DeSantis is a great candidate. You might prefer Ted Cruz. I think Ted Cruz is a great candidate. You might prefer, I don't know, Nikki Haley or Mike Pompeo or someone else. But it's just a statistical fact. Donald Trump is by far at the head of the pack right now. And so you're putting these two guys up head to head. One's got at the worst a 41% economic approval rating. The other one's got a 30% economic approval rating. That's going to be very hard for the 30% guy to overcome. Why is this happening? The Biden team doesn't seem able to figure out why Biden's numbers are so low. They, they, they can't blame 
themselves. They can't accept responsibility for anything. Jill Biden was just speaking to a bunch of donors in Nantucket. She said, you know, it's just the reason that our numbers are so low. It's every single thing other than us. She says, he's just had so many things thrown his way. Who would have ever thought about what happened? Roe v. Wade. Well, maybe we saw it coming but we still didn't believe it. The gun violence in this country is absolutely appalling. We didn't see the war in Ukraine coming, right? She lists this litany of all the terrible things that are the reason why everything is collapsing under Biden and why his approval ratings are going down. The next question you got to ask is, why didn't you see it coming? Especially when we're talking about the war in Ukraine, which is largely responsible for the spike in gas prices, which is causing the spike in all of the prices, which is probably the single biggest problem of Biden's administration. Why didn't you guys see this coming? We saw it coming. We predicted this stuff on this show. We predicted this stuff. I have a show with Ted Cruz called Verdict. We predicted it on that show, laid out exactly how it was going to happen. It was no big secret. Joe Biden came in and eased sanctions on Russia and gave Russia an oil pipeline called Nord Stream 2. And by green lighting that pipeline, anybody with two brain cells to rub together knew that Putin was going to be freed up to enter Ukraine. This was no big secret. The president of Ukraine said that. Vladimir Zelensky, who now the Democrats are saying is Winston Churchill, and he's the greatest man in the world, and we need to give him whatever he wants. Well, okay, why didn't you give him the economic sanctions on Russia when he asked for it that could have stopped the invasion? Oh, we didn't see this coming. Yeah, I know you didn't see a lot of things coming. You didn't see the potential overruling of Roe v. Wade. You should have seen this coming for 50 years because Roe v. Wade was a ridiculous court decision. And the pro-life movement has been steadily gaining steam for half a century. Probably should have seen that one coming. The gun violence in this country. What are you talking about the gun violence in this country? Guns have always been a major factor of American life. Gun violence is not, ex- not exactly increasing. You, it kind of depends on what you're looking at. If you're, if you're talking specifically about crime in the inner cities, yeah, that's spiking. That's going through the roof. Wonder why that's happening. Might it have something to do with the fact that Democrats for two to three years now have been calling to abolish the police and defund the police and installing radical prosecutors and, and district attorneys who let the criminals off the hook? You think that's got something to do with the epidemic of violence in this country and crime rate going up? Who could have seen that coming? I don't know anybody with eyes and a brain. <laughs> we just, guys, it's not our fault. We just didn't see it coming. Well, yeah, that's the problem. Biden. That's why you and the rest of us are in the mess that you have put us in right now. You know what else they didn't see coming? They didn't see that conservatives would push back. This is the most delightful clip I have seen on cable news in a very long time. The mayor of Washington, D.C., Muriel Bowser, just went on CBS's Face the Nation on the Sunday show. And she, she showed up on TV to complain that the governor of Texas is sending a bunch of illegal aliens on charter buses to her city. So the Democrats have been promoting illegal immigration, the most insanely high illegal immigration numbers that we've ever seen in this country, 2 million a year plus, coming across that border illegally. And the Democrats are fine with it because they say, yeah, they're all going to go to Texas. They're all going to be in Arizona, New Mexico. It's no big deal. Forget about it. We're not going to have to worry about it in Martha's Vineyard, in Nantucket, in Washington, D.C., So Greg Abbott, he says, okay, hey, you know what? Here's a good use of taxpayer money. We're going to buy a few kind of cheap bus tickets. We're going to put all you illegals on the bus. We're going to send you up to DC. And then those politicians who are causing the problem, they can deal with it. And Muriel Bowser says, whoa, 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 man. What are you doing to me? 
The uh, Washington Post reported last week that homeless shelters in D.C. were filling up. Um, and groups are getting overwhelmed by these buses that the governors of Texas and, and Arizona are sending here full of migrants. How significant is this influx? How many people? Well, this is a very significant issue. Um, we have for sure called on the federal government uh, to work across state lines to prevent um, people from really being tricked uh, into getting on buses. Uh, we, we think they're largely asylum seekers uh, who are going to final destinations that are not Washington, D.C. Uh, I worked uh, with the White House to make sure that FEMA provided a grant to a local organization um, that is providing services to folks. Um, but I fear that they're being uh, tricked into nationwide um, bus trips when their final destinations are places all over the United States of America. Yeah, that's the problem. We're going to make the final destination for the illegal immigration that you're encouraging. We're going to make it your town and your home. That's, that's the, they're, yeah, they are being tricked. <laughs> they're, they're being tricked by Democrats to come into this country illegally. And now you're complaining that we are taking the, those, that, that process of illegal immigration to its logical conclusion and saying, okay, DC, you want this illegal immigration? Fine. It's coming to your home. No, you can't. We're trying to trick the immigrants and the Republicans. You can't, you can't play a trick on us in return. Yes, we can. The Republicans can get aggressive here because the wind is at our sails and the Democrats don't have very much that they can do right now. They are being outmaneuvered. In your face, Republicans are looking very, very good right now. Sometimes Republicans, they want to play it safe. Think about Mitt Romney 2012. I'm not going to talk about any issues that people actually care about. I'm just going to talk about how the economy's bad. So, you know, that's kind of everyone, everyone knows the economy's bad and they don't like that. And I'm going to talk about, maybe we're going to cut taxes a little bit, but I'm not going to talk about any of the issues that are really driving people, the cultural issues the social issues, the issues that tug on the heartstrings a lot more than the marginal corporate tax rate. Part of the reason Romney couldn't do that, by the way, is because he invented Obamacare, but that, that was one of the weaknesses of that nomination. He is the kind of nice, polite Republican who doesn't, he just doesn't want to rock the boat. He just wants to kind of sneak into office. And that almost always fails. Then you've got the in-your-face Republicans. You've got the people like Donald Trump, who say, this country is going to hell in a handbasket. You weirdos are doing all kinds of crazy stuff and we hate it and we're going to stop you from doing it. Stop protesting the American flag. Stop transing the kids. Stop pushing your weird stuff on the country. Build a giant wall. Stop flooding the country with foreigners because you think it's going to give you an electoral advantage. Just cut it out. You people are, are jerks for doing that. We're not going to let you do it anymore. So that's, that's Donald Trump. Which, which strategy has been successful? especially in recent years. Obviously, it's the more aggressive strategy because re uh, Republicans and Americans more broadly have had enough. We know that the libs have gone too far. When we talk about the 2024 Republican nomination, a, a lot of people right now think the divide is between Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis, with some other people suggesting maybe uh, Senator Cruz or Nikki Haley or Mike Pompeo or Mike Pence, some people have suggested or whatever. There are some other people too. And uh, already people have taken really firm sides here and they're extremely harsh partisans for one of those candidates over the others. But the fact remains, there's a statistical fact here. Donald Trump is way at the top of the heap. He's up something like 40 points. Why is he up so high? A lot of conservatives will say, why is Trump doing better than DeSantis? Trump foisted the vaccine on us and Ron DeSantis stood up against 
promoting the vaccine too much. Uh, Trump didn't reopen the country by Easter, and he gave Dr. Fauci a lot of power. Ron DeSantis stood up against the COVID stuff. I and mean, there's no question, COVID is DeSantis's great strength and Trump's biggest weakness here. There's no question about that. And then they look on all the other issues. They say, maybe here DeSantis is a little more conservative. Well, maybe here Trump is a little bit more effective and conservative. Boom, boom, boom. They go back and forth and back and forth. Well, look, and here's one of the greatest arguments in favor of Trump. Trump got Roe v. Wade overruled. Oh my gosh, it's the most important political achievement of my lifetime, of multiple generations probably. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Okay, so they're going back and forth on the horse race. Everyone is ignoring probably the most pertinent fact for the 2024 presidential race. And it was demonstrated in a clip that was going viral around the internet yesterday. It was a clip from one of Trump's old speeches mashed up with a little bit of music. Just take a listen. They want to ban straws. Has anybody ever tried those paper straws? They're not working too right? They want to ban straws. I said, well, you know, I've had a couple of meals at McDonald's, etc. over the years. Wendy's, friend of mine owns Wendy's, I'll give it a plug, right? Burger King. So they want to ban straws. I said, oh really, what about the carton? What about the plates? What about the knives and the spoons and the plastic? Oh, they're okay, but the straws are going to ban has anybody ever tried seriously the new sorts made out of paper, right? It disintegrates as you drink it. If you have a nice tie like this tie, this would have no chance. You all hear about this? What's the deal with these paper straws? This is Trump's secret weapon. And I think it very well could be decisive in 2024. It certainly was decisive in 2016. Trump is so freaking entertaining. He's so funny. The man is captivating. He has star quality. Okay. And I'm not saying that's a good thing. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just, I'm just telling you what it is. He has that. And it's why in 2016, Donald Trump blew everybody else off the stage. Donald Trump did not have the most conservative record in 2016. Far from it didn't matter. He ended up being the most conservative president of <laughs> my lifetime in a very, very long time, but not in 2016. He's just, he's just a magnet for attention. He just commands your attention. Can Ron DeSantis do that? I don't know. Maybe he can. He hasn't tried at the national level yet. So maybe he can, maybe he can't. That remains a big question mark. Can the other candidates? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But what I know is Donald Trump is a network TV star and he's so freaking funny that he could do a stand-up routine pretty much any night of the week. He could probably go for two hours. South Park made the same observation about him in 2016. When South Park was making jokes about Donald Trump, they always positioned him as a kind of stand-up comedian. When, when they would depict him giving a political speech, they'd have the spotlight come on him. They'd have a stool. He'd light up a cigarette. He said, you guys hear about this? You guys hear about this thing? What's the deal with my wife or whatever? So that's really important because people who are listening to this show are probably very high information voters. You consume a lot of political media. You know where the candidates stand on the issues. You're focused. You're hypervigilant on all of the, the different domestic and foreign matters. Most voters are not like that. Most voters are not like that. Not even I'm not even trying to disparage most voters. Most voters just have other things to do <laughs> and they're just not focused and it doesn't interest them that much. And so they're paying a relatively low amount of attention to the political scene. And that guy is going to command your attention. More so, I think, 
than most other candidates. If if a candidate wants to beat Trump in a primary, you've got to figure out a way to get over that. Some of the candidates tried to do that in 2016. It didn't work. Marco Rubio, you remember, he tried to do his Don Rickles routine for a while. He said, damn, Trump is so funny. How come he, okay. And then Rubio did that whole routine about how Trump has small hands and that implied that he had tiny genitals. And it completely backfired. I mean, the guy just stepped on a rake and Trump squashed him with it because you, you can't really fake it. You've, you've got that star quality or you don't. You've got, you've, you've, honed that skill or you haven't. People have to, to, people have to take on that particular strength if they want to beat Trump in 2024. And Trump's going to be even funnier in 2024 because the libs are providing so much material. There's a uh, third grade teacher just went viral on TikTok as a queer third grade teacher who's got crazy colored hair and is going off about her sexual desires on TikTok. But she says, look, she doesn't make a big deal out of it. I am an openly queer teacher. Now, I don't stand in front of my elementary students and be like, I like women, but I wear a bi-flag watch band, bi-flag bracelets. In my classroom, I keep a rainbow flag. It's got Mickey Mouse on it because I love Mickey. But it's got a a rainbow. My kids know what it means. This is me telling them I am a safe place to talk without making a big deal out of being queer. Side note, I shaved the side of my head. Love it. Okay, going back to the main topic. Anyway, so because I am openly queer, my students trust me, especially my queer students. I teach fifth grade this next school year. I've been teaching fourth grade for the last four years. Anyway, right now I'm teaching summer school and I have third graders. Like I said, I wear these bracelets to let them know I'm a safe space. Two students, two third grade students came to me and asked me to use they, them pronouns. Isn't that great? I, I transed a couple of my third grade students because I don't make a big deal out of it. I don't, I don't broadcast that I'm queer. You know, I mean, I wear multiple bracelets that are basically billboards that say I'm queer and I dye my hair like the queer thing. And I got that haircut that all the queer people got in 2013 or 2014. And I, whenever students come up to me and mention anything about sex, I love to talk to them about it. And I really indulge those conversations, but I don't make a big deal out of it, right? If that's not a big deal, what what would making a big deal of it be? Would she, would she jump out of a cake every morning in her, and do a little striptease in her third grade classroom? I don't know how you could make a bigger deal. Yeah, I've got the flag up in my classroom. And, you know, I, I give all of my students a dose of Lupron before we start. That's for snack time. I give them some cross-sex hormones. But I don't really make a big deal out of it, right? These people are beyond parody. And it's, it's not just the conservatives who oppose that. It's the majority of Americans and Republicans, especially the funny ones, are going to have a field day with that in 2022 and 2024. This week, we are celebrating the first anniversary of our podcast, Morning Wire. In this short period of time, it has become one of the top news podcasts. I suspect it's because Morning Wire gives you only the news that you need to know in 15 minutes or less without the manufactured outrage. So check out Morning Wire on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Daily Wire Plus, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're at it, check out the rest of our extensive content library at dailywireplus.com, such as Fauci Unmasked. That's our docu-series hosted by yours truly. In light of Fauci maybe retiring, this is a great way to give him a fitting send-off. I'd like to give him a nice one-finger salute to send him off. Another way to send him off 
check out the Che Fauche merch that is left in my store at my store over at dailywire.com. We've got some really primo Fauci merch. I get it while you still can. Right now, you can get 35% off your Daily Wire membership. Uh, so head on over to dailywireplus.com today. We'll be right back with a lot more. Sometimes the lib sexual revolutionaries are pretty funny, like the Looney Tunes who prattle on on TikTok. Sometimes it's not so funny, like when the Assistant Secretary of Health, Richard Levine, who calls himself Rachel, uh, explains how he plans to empower young people by castrating them. We really want to, 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 to base our treatment and, uh, and to uh, affirm and to uh, support and empower these youth, not to limit their participation in activities and sports, and even uh, uh, limit their ability to get gender affirmation treatment in their state. Did you hear that Freudian slip at the beginning? He goes, we really, really want to debase our treatment. <laughs> you, you are debasing medical treatment. That's true. I don't think he meant to say that, but certainly how it came out. And he says, look, we want to empower people and we, and we want them to be able to get gender affirmation treatment. Little kids, little kids getting pumped full of puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones and having their bodies mutilated. That's not so funny. We can laugh and make fun of the libs of TikTok and everything like that. It's great. I mean, that's why libs of TikTok is probably our favorite account on Twitter, right? Because it just highlights all those libs of TikTok. But this is libs of major government authority. This is libs of lots of political power to abuse your children, power that they are exercising. That's not so funny. That's not going to play very well in November. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of sexual confusion and chaos going around the culture. And the reason it keeps coming up, the reason all these videos keep going viral, whether we're talking about libs of TikTok or other platforms, the reason we're, we're talking about this is because the Democrats and the, the radicals are focusing very, very much on sexual issues. They have made sex the focal point of their political agenda. And conservatives, some conservatives at least, are reacting against that. Uh, Ted Cruz got a ton of headlines a couple of days ago because on the bonus segment of the show that he and I host together, he was asked by our friend Liz Wheeler, hey, Senator, what do you think about the Obergefell case that created a constitutional right to same-sex marriage, redefined marriage? And do, do you think that was a good decision? And Cruz gave the completely unobjectionable answer. He said, well, it was obviously wrongly decided at the time, unless you believe that James Madison intended to redefine marriage <laughs> <laughs> to include same-sex unions at a time when that was completely unthinkable, then uh, you would have to agree that it's not in the Constitution. Even if you like it, it's not in the Constitution. So they played that clip, went viral, all the libs clutched their pearls. Here's the fuller context, though, because the Cruz made the constitutional point, but then he made a broader political point about what's going to happen to marriage in the future. In Dobbs, what the Supreme Court said is Roe is different because it's the only one of the cases that involves the taking of a human life, and that's qualitatively different. I agree with that proposition. Uh, that is fundamentally different. I will say on Obergefell, there is also, when a court is considering whether to overturn a precedent, one of the factors you, that the court looks to is reliance interest. Have people relied on the previous precedent, and have they acted accordingly? And in the context of marriage, look, you've got 
a ton of people who who have entered into gay marriages. And it would be more than a little chaotic for the court to do something that somehow disrupted those marriages that have been entered into in accordance with the law. I think that would be a factor that would uh, would counsel restraint that would that, that that the court would be concerned about. But to be honest, I, I don't think this court has any appetite for overturning any of these decisions. So there is the political analysis. And I think his political analysis is right, by the way. The constitutional analysis is same-sex marriage is completely preposterous from the standpoint of the Constitution. It's just, it's ridiculous. But as a political matter, the court's not going to do anything about it. They're not going to overrule Obergefell. There's no appetite on the court to do that. There are some considerations that people have entered into these same-sex marriages. And so if you upended that, that would create some political problems. And it's just, it's not going to happen. Okay. So I took a little poll on Twitter, highly scientific poll on Twitter, and the results were fascinating. The question I asked was, do you think the government should recognize same-sex marriage? Four possible answers. Yes, and I lean left. Yes, and I lean right. No, and I lean left. No, and I lean right. Now, most of the people who follow me are conservative. So you only about five or 6% of the respondents lean left and they were split. Even on the left, they were split two and a half percent, two and a half percent said yes, two and a half percent said no. That's kind of weird. Even on the left, there's this big split. But then what about the conservatives? You would expect the conservatives overwhelmingly to oppose same-sex marriage, right? No, it was split about 50-50. There was a slight advantage for the people who don't think the government should recognize same-sex marriage. No, I lean right was about 51%. Yes, I lean right was about 42%. The, even the conservatives are split on this. So to, to buttress Ted Cruz's anal- political analysis here, gay marriage is not going anywhere anytime soon. The court has at least something of a legal argument as to why they wouldn't want to overrule Obergefell. I don't think a case would even make it up to the Supreme Court. It would be hard to, hard to even think about how you could bring a case that would bring this question back to the, the mind of the, the justices. And very few people want to overrule same-sex marriage in America. Very few people. Half of the conservatives. And maybe half of the liberals, but I, I don't really think that those numbers are so small, I'm not sure that, you, that that's really a reliable number. But at least talking about the conservatives here, it's 50-50 which doesn't, doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me because if, if you had done the same poll 10 years ago, the vast majority of people would have said, no, the government shouldn't recognize same-sex marriage, including the liberals. They put it up for a vote in California. It failed, same-sex marriage. So how in just the period of seven years has, has same-sex marriage gained such widespread acceptance and support? Well, it's because there's a fifth answer that is, was not included. There was no room for it in the poll, which is, oh, I don't care. I don't mind. Get the government out of marriage entirely. I don't want to think about it. Come on. It's no big deal. Forget about it. I don't really mind. What, what, how does this affect me? Now, I, I didn't include that answer in the poll also because government has always regulated marriage everywhere at all times throughout human history. So that's not just as a practical matter, that's not a real salute. That's a, a utopian slogan. 
But what it really means, and this is the important lesson, I don't even bring it up to talk about same-sex marriage. What it really means is there's an important fact of politics, which is that most people's political views don't make sense. That most people's political views don't make sense. Same-sex marriage is the wokest thing ever. (laughs) It is the most radical thing that we have done in this country ever. It's, and it's not even close. Abortion is less radical than same-sex marriage. Cultures throughout human history have practiced child sacrifice and human sacrifice. It's horrible. It's an extremely evil thing, but it's not all that unusual. Cultures throughout human history have practiced eugenics, going back to ancient Sparta and even further back, all the way up to the present. Same-sex marriage is more radical than transing the kids. There have been eunuchs throughout all of human history. Again, it's awful, it's evil, it's not very nice, but it's not all that unusual to trans the kids, even. Same-sex marriage has never existed anywhere. (laughs) Same-sex marriage is more radical even than those radical things because it involves a redefinition of the fundamental political institution along the premise that there's no difference between men and women. That is so extremely radical. And half of the conservatives support that view now. And a lot of the conservatives don't even think it matters. Oh, who cares? It doesn't make any sense at all. The the conservatives oppose transgenderism because men and women are different. Conservatives watch What is a Woman movie, the Matt Walsh movie, because men and women are different. It's so obvious. And yet, when it comes to the fundamental political institution, conservatives throw that out the window. It's not just conservative. Most people's political views don't make all that much sense. Think of your liberal cousin who's a vegan. And we've all got a liberal cousin who's a vegan. And your liberal cousin who's a vegan, 99 times out of 100, 999 times out of 1,000 will support abortion. Won't eat meat, won't eat eggs, won't even eat the products of animals because we have to be so nice to all the living creatures. But yes, let's kill babies up until the moment of birth, uh, abortion on demand without apology. That just doesn't make sense. Think about the libs when it comes to the environment. We can't burn fossil fuels. That's really bad for the environment. We've got to get off of fossil fuels. And then the conservatives propose nuclear energy, which is by far the most efficient, clean energy that we've got available to us. The libs say, no, we don't want that either. We can't have oil pipelines in America. That's bad for the environment. That's why we need to support oil pipelines in Russia. That's why we need to get gas from Iran and Saudi Arabia. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't make any sense at all. But conservatives are like this too. Conservatives fall into this trap too. Think about what conservatives say with abortion and IVF. We were talking about that this past week. Conservatives say abortion is terrible because human life begins at the moment of conception. So we need to ban abortion. But we need to allow IVF, which produces lots of human embryos and then either destroys them or freezes them in perpetuity. Hold on. You're telling me that life begins at conception. That's why we got to get rid of abortion. But life Life doesn't begin at conception when we're talking about IVF. That doesn't make any sense. And I know that a lot of conservatives go along with that. Same thing on same-sex marriage. You're telling me that it's so important. We need to defend our traditional values and our traditional society, except for the fundamental political institution, the family. We're going to now fundamentally sever the connection between family and nature. (laughs) But, But we still, we need to defend traditional values. You would hear this for years in Republican speeches, especially in the 90s and 2000s. The first part of the Republican speech 
would be, we need to defend our society and the traditional institutions and the civic associations and the family and our good old American way of life. And then you get to the second part of the speech, they'd say, that's why we need creative destruction and rampant capitalism and innovation everywhere and new technology. And we need to just out with the old, in with the new and new, 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 and let's make a lot more money. And hold on, wait, what was, what about the old, keep the social mores and don't change a lot of stuff and maintain our traditional values until you get to the second half of the speech. Why do I bring this up? It's not to dunk on the libs. It's not to dunk on the conservatives. It's not to say that everybody's so stupid except for us. We're so smart, aren't we folks? It's not to, it's not to say that at all. I'm sure that there are some problems in our political philosophies too. I bet there's some things that we haven't totally thought through as well. I'm making a descriptive observation. I'm pointing out it is simply a fact that most people's political views don't make all that much sense. And so when you want to win a political election, when you want to win a a campaign, when you want to get something accomplished, when you want to get a law or a candidate across the finish line, you've got to be clever about it. You've got to speak in a way that will reach the greatest number of people but might not always make the most sense. This is why we talked about yesterday Ron DeSantis's line that he's that has been extremely popular in Florida. He says, "We need education, not indoctrination." That line doesn't really totally make sense because education and indoctrination are pretty much the same thing. But but people kind of know what you're getting at when you say that sort of thing. Okay, people kind it 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 pulls on the right strings and will motivate people to go vote. I mean, you just see it in the poll numbers for, for DeSantis. That's what conservatives are going to have to do in order to win elections. You are, not, you are not going to make a ton of progress on these issues by just laying out the perfectly precise, pure argument, okay? How did the pro-life movement do so well over the last 50 years? Is the, did the pro-life movement just make totally clear, crystal clear arguments? They did. I just don't think that was the most persuasive part. I think the most persuasive part was showing people what a sonogram looks like and showing people what an abortion looks like and showing people cute little babies. And that's just where people are. And that's where you've got to meet them on these kinds of issues. Because people know that something is wrong in the sexual culture right now. And they know that the libs are focusing on sex because it's powerful. And they, they just, they get that something's wrong. So you've got, to, you've got to encourage them in that. Here's, here's a, a great example of this. This is a shocking, historic story. Just came out of a women's prison. A, an inmate, a trans woman inmate in the women's prison who's in for manslaughter, uh, has just been moved out of the prison after she knocked up two other women. She impregnated two other women there. What a time to be alive. We're living at a time where for the first time in human history, a woman has impregnated other women. What are the odds? Isn't that so strange? Demi Minor, I don't know what his real name is. He's 27 years old, just transferred out of the Edna Mahan Correctional Facility for Women in New Jersey. Uh, he's serving a 30-year sentence for manslaughter, but he keeps knocking up the inmates. Are, we're not going to win on, on these issues, especially issues like transgenderism, human sexuality, the, the human person and our relation to our citizens in the state. We're not going to win by just making pure, boring philosophical arguments. 
we've got to kind of work in the other direction. We've got to point to these stories and say, hey, you see that? You see that husky dude in a dress knocking up all the women in the prisons? That's wrong, right? We all know that that's wrong. Okay, so let's stop that. And now let's think, why is that wrong? Maybe that's wrong because he's not really a chick. Maybe that's wrong because men can't become chicks. Maybe that's wrong because men and women are different. Maybe men and women are called to slightly different things, and they're not just completely indiscernible and identical at all times. Maybe we need to return to a kind of more traditional, normal way of viewing men and women that has prevailed everywhere throughout the entire history of the world until about five seconds ago here. You've got to work backwards. Speaking of deranged women, a uh, white lady is very, very upset at other white ladies. And she's very upset at other white ladies because she and her fellow white ladies have committed a truly evil and atrocious act. They have given birth to white men. Buckle in, I'm going to get brutally honest. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Who created these monsters? We did. We birthed them. We nursed them. We read their little nursery rhymes and sing the little songs. We taught them in their preschools and their kindergartens and their first and third grades. White women craft their own gilded cage. And we do it by raising little misogynistic patriarchal tyrants. We raise the little boys who grow up to be the Donald Trumps, the Mitch McConnells, the Greg Locks of this world. White women raised them. Now I hear you on the last sentence. When these little tyrants grow up and abuse us and we speak out about it, yeah, we're going to be institutionalized. Yeah, she's saying, yeah, they're going to call us crazy, huh? Why would they ever think we're crazy? We just hate ourselves and our kids. (laughs) And she's got those eyes. You can tell by the eyes. The eyes are usually a giveaway. This is the logical conclusion, though. Uh, The illogical, I guess, conclusion of what the left is pushing, which is a mother despising her own child. The politics of resentment, which starts out as just being about everyone else. I'm really good and everyone else is really bad. That politics of resentment is going to come back like a snake eating its own tail. And it's going to come back on a kind of personal resentment. She hates herself because she's a white woman. And she even hates her own child. Ties right into the politics of abortion. Why does the left not merely tolerate or encourage abortion to some moderate degree. Why does the left make a sacrament out of abortion? Why is abortion the sacred fundamental right, according to the left? Well, it's, it's at the very heart of this politics of resentment. Mother Teresa made this point 30 years ago in a speech at the United Nations. She said, Abor-, I'm paraphrasing slightly. She said, abortion is the greatest evil in the world. And the reason is, if a mother can kill her own child, There is no limit to the evil and depravity that will go on. If a mother can kill her own child, and this video of this lady is, we are the, we should hate ourselves because we have committed the great evil action of giving birth and creating life. So we obviously need to hate our own children. That is the level of animus 
that you see on, on the left. You also see this is the level of animus against white men. The only group in America that you can legally discriminate against is white men. White people broadly, to some extent Asian people because they get lumped in as white people for some reason, and men kind of broadly, but specifically at that apex, at the very tippy top of the intersectional pyramid, it's straight white men who know that they're men. And beyond legal discrimination in college admissions and work, it's the only group that you're socially allowed to constantly demean and insult. Can't do that about black people. Can't do it about Hispanic people. Can't do it about Asian people. Can't do it about women. Can't do it about homosexuals. Can't do it about any other kind of sexual identities other than white men, straight white men who know that they're men. That's the group that you can so vilify that even their mothers are now encouraged to vilify them. But before we go, I've got to get to a story about positive masculinity. You always hear about toxic masculinity. And I think this guy was a white guy too, though. I'm not totally sure, but he's definitely a dude. A good guy with a gun saving a lot of lives in Indiana. The reason you're not going to hear about this story very much is because it contradicts the Libs narrative. There was a mass shooter at a mall in Greenwood, Indiana. He fired into a civilian crowd in, uh, at the food court. He killed three people. He wounded two people. But before he could kill 20 people or 30 people, a good guy with a gun, Elisha Dickin, 22 years old, uh, was there. And he was carrying his gun because of Indiana's constitutional carry law. So only because of that, that great law that was passed in Indiana, you had po- culture downstream of politics here. The guy was carrying his gun. He pulls his gun out. He shoots the mass shooter. And sadly, the mass shooter already killed three people. He could have killed 10 times that. Could have killed even more than that. You saw what happened in Uvalde where the cops didn't show up on time. They did show up and they didn't do anything. The good guy with a gun, absolutely vindicated. You are not going to hear that story. One last little tiny final story. There are some Republican senators right now being led by Senator Joni Ernst who are proposing making June Protect Life Month. It's the month of life because that was the month that Roe v. Wade was overruled in the Dobbs decision. I think this is a great idea. Conservatives need to engage in the culture. We need liturgical celebrations. We need to celebrate things. All states always do that. It's kind of religious. It's very public. And every culture has always had these sorts of things. Public festivals, uh, sacred days, feast days. Right now we've got a, a sacred month, quote unquote, and it's pride month in June. And we have all sorts. We have the month, Black History Month, Women's Month, this month, that month. We have traditional holidays, the 4th of July, Thanksgiving. We have these kind of sacred days. We absolutely need one for life. You can't back away from the culture. You can't say, oh, well, just keep my values out of your life or this. That's, that's not how politics works. It's not how it's ever worked. And the wind is at our sails here. And people are going to be supportive of this. And furthermore, when we, when we act in a certain way, when we revere things, when we venerate things, when we worship together, that affects the culture. It affects how we think and how we believe. There's this idea. It's a Catholic idea. Lex orandi, lex credendi, lex vivendi. The way that we worship affects the way that we believe. It affects our actual views of things, and it affects the way that we live. The wind is at our sails. Dr. Fauci knows it. You all know it. So let's push ahead, and let's get, let's get the month of life exalted in June so that maybe that will move the way we believe and the way that we live in the right direction. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. 
If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Associate producer, Justine Turley. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. And hair and makeup by Cherokee Hart. Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. Hey there, this is John Bickley, Daily Wire editor-in-chief and co-host of Morning Wire. On today's episode, Democrats attempt to penalize and defund pregnancy centers. The fundraising battle between the Dems and GOP heats up. And parents sue TikTok for allegedly leading to the death of their children. Join us and get the facts first on the news you need to know with our show, Morning Wire. Morning Wire.